My name is Father Gary Coulter. I'm the director at Good Council Retreat House and want to especially, of course, um, and thank Father Morin, Father Morin, who will be giving our day of prayer and recollection on prayer for the board, distracted and anxious. As you know, these and all the recordings are available at our website, goodcouncilretreat.com, and of course, the schedule of upcoming retreats. And so we welcome Father Moore to begin our day. Thanks, Father. Start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you. Thank you for this time you have given us to be quiet with you. We ask that you send down your spirit upon us to be attentive to you, to whatever it is you wish to say to us in whatever way you wish to say it. We ask that we might be generous with you during this time. We ask for the intercession of our mother, that she might guide us along the path towards you, as we say. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Uh, good morning both to the people that I can see and the ones that I can't. Um, I'm glad there are some people that I can see because, to be honest, after doing a few live stream masses with nobody, it's just, it's kind of uh, weird when you know people are watching you, but you don't know what they're doing um, or how many or who they are or why they're watching you. So I'm glad at least I have some people that I can see. Um, yeah, so we're um, here for a day of recollection. For those that are here, you saw the, the schedule. Um, so that's uh, pretty much gives you the uh, structure of the day, as you kind of may have noticed the um, morning prayer this morning, and then the other devotions on there will be recorded, um, like the morning prayer just was, because um, it works better on Zoom instead of us praying ourselves. I want to encourage you, um, don't feel like you have to be here for those things or for anything. Um, this day is for you to spend with God, and so if you f would rather sit in your room in or anything instead of listening to me that is awesome i have this memory of my uncle giving a retreat my uncle's a priest he gave a retreat for me in seminary and his he he began by saying so i'm going to be up here going like this blah 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 but that's not the important thing the important thing is that you listen to god so i just full freedom to do whatever you want today i won't be offended if there's no one at the next talk even though i'll still have to give it because of you know the camera um, so just a few thoughts about a day of recollection. Um, the word recollection is a good word uh, for what we're doing today. It has a couple meanings. One is when we say recollection, it actually means remembering, right? I recollect something means I remember it. And so really what one of the things today can be about is remembering the things we already know and believe. It's not necessarily, Dave Recollection isn't 
like a class. It's not something where you're supposed to be maybe learning a lot. Maybe you'll learn something, but um, it's more remembering actually the things that we already know, but because of the way that life goes, uh, we can, can slip out of our mind or we can forget, or we can stop living according to those things that we know and believe. So um, today's a rec- hopefully a day of that for you. And then the other kind of meaning of recollection, you can hear it in the word itself, to recollect or to unify your life. And there's just the way that life goes, perhaps modern life more than other times in history. It can be a, a sort of a um, free-for-all almost. A lot of things going on, a lot of things coming at you from a lot of different directions. And so it's very... Um, useful for your spiritual life, which is supposed to be the principle of unity for your life, to have a day where you can kind of come and take a step back and assess all that and uh, bring it to the principle of your of unity, which is really God. God is the, the thing which is always the same throughout our lives. Um, so I hope for, for you that that is what this day is. I, um, Father, when Father Coulter asked me to give this day. Um, he said, what's your topic? And I said, Mom, I don't know. So I had to think about it. And um, I don't know if I like the topic that I chose, but I guess that's my fault. Uh, it's called prayer for the board distracted and anxious. When he, when he asked me, it was like a month ago and it was the height of the quarantine thing, um, which is of course still going on in some ways, but maybe not as intensely. And so I thought, well, maybe people are bored or distracted or anxious because of that. That's kind of a common experience during, I think, this time, uh, or three common experiences. So that's what we came up with, and I guess that's what I'm going to talk about. Um, I think the good news is, though, or maybe not good, but um, being bored or distracted or anxious are not, you don't have to be quarantined to feel those things. I think we've all felt them one time or another, and um, they do seem to be at least, at least at face value, a obstacle to prayer. Um, And so I want to kind of connect how those experiences can actually perhaps um, be a way to enter prayer or seen as an invitation to prayer. Um, Because they're, they're, they're pretty human things to feel and they're probably not going to go away. Um, so what do we do when we're bored, distracted, or anxious in relationship with God? So I'll give one talk this morning on boredom. <laughs> Hopefully it's not boring. I had to make that joke at some point, I guess. Um, one on distraction and one on anxiety. Uh, those two will be in the afternoon. Um, so I think that's, yeah, all this stuff I have introductory-wise. I want to begin uh, reflecting on boredom by reading a passage from the book of Hosea. Hosea is a prophet in ancient Israel, and it's a it's a kind of a brief book, but very powerful because more than any other book, um, I'm just kind of throwing that off the top of my head. Maybe it's not true, but more than most books in the Old Testament, um, in this book, God presents Himself as a lover. Uh, to his people, Israel. Often God will present himself as a father. That's probably the most common way that God, the most common image God uses to represent himself. But in Hosea, he represents himself as a lover. In fact, he he actually makes Hosea um, 
go find a prostitute and marry her um, in order to represent the relationship that God and Hosea or God and Israel have because uh, Israel has been unfaithful, you know, not uh, faithful to God. And God tells Hosea, okay, you go marry a prostitute and then tell everybody that your relationship with this prostitute who's obviously being unfaithful to you based on who she is. Um, that's what it's like between you and me. I'm faithful to you, but you've been unfaithful to me. And through that image, then God calls uh, his people back to himself. He calls them to be faithful. So in, in chapter two, there's this, um, God kind of goes through this whole description of how Israel has been unfaithful to him and how, um, and how it makes him upset because of that. And, but then he says, after kind of describing that in verse 14, he says, this is God speaking about Israel, his, the one he loves. Therefore, I will now allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Therefore, I will now allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There's another translation, which is, gives a maybe even more powerful idea of what he's saying. But look, I'm going to seduce her, Israel, and lead her into the desert and speak to her heart. The reason this passage, I think, is helpful, especially when we're talking about the experience of boredom, whether that's boredom in prayer or boredom just kind of in general in life with whatever life is, whatever's in front of you, is because boredom really is a desert. When you experience boredom, what you're saying is the thing in front of me or the life that's around me, it, there's nothing to offer. There's nothing to attract me or fill me or distract me. I'm lacking something. It's like a desert. A desert, there's nothing there. That's what makes it a desert. There's no water, so there's no life, so there's nothing to do for the land. You can't do anything. It's empty. It's a lack. Boredom is kind of an experiential version of that. It's a lack of something. It's saying reality isn't doing it for me. But the strange thing about the passage that we read is that according to God, this is exactly where he wants to take his beloved in order to allure her or attract her or even seduce her, trick her into <laughs> um, being with him. I think there's another translation. I couldn't find which one it was, but um, I've heard it said to woo her, which is a funny word. Um, thank you for laughing at that. Uh, but it is weird word that God is going to um, basically put the moves on his beloved in the desert. He's not going to take his beloved to some really nice place or some place where there's all kinds of nice things. He wants to go to a wasteland or a desert. This is, by the way, not just a theme in that verse of Hosea. This is a theme, actually, that's kind of very much a part of God's story with his people in the whole Old Testament. We, of course, know that the main story of the Old Testament, the one that comes up the most often, and that Christ um, in his passion and Last Supper and all of that references the most is the, the story of the Exodus. So God's people is their slaves, and he wants to 
um, take them out of slavery, free them, and bring them to a promised land. Of course, we know that there's this big stage between being a slave and being in the promised land. It's the desert. God actually tried to take them to the promised land right away, but they, they actually weren't ready. They didn't uh, trust him enough. And so because of that, um, it's not what this talk is about exactly, but because of that, he actually had to bring them to the desert. And so, uh, especially at the beginning in the desert at the Mount Sinai, um, that's where God uh, gives his covenant in the desert. There's nothing else there. It's just God and Israel, his people. And in fact, the way that the, um, the Old Testament people understood what happened at Sinai, that's where the covenant was given, the law was given. They actually understand that as God betrothing himself to his people, forming a bond or a promise between the two. It was in the desert that God married his people. It says in Deuteronomy that God sustained Israel, his people, in a desert land, in a howling wilderness waste. He shielded him, guarded him as the apple of his eye. So both Hosea and the whole Old Testament, or the main Old Testament story, show that, that somehow the desert, the place where there's nothing, where it'd be the easiest place to be bored, um, is where God wants to meet his people or even um, allow the love to grow between him and his people. Now, why? Why would God do this? I think it might be obvious, but when you're in a place where you're alone or empty or dry, where there's nothing else there, except there is one thing there and it's God, that's a place where um, you actually become ready to receive the gift that God wants to give. In a desert, someone is needy. Right? If, you just, if I just plopped you in a desert and said, there's nothing for a thousand miles and then took off on my luxury helicopter and went away or whatever, for whatever reason I'm doing this, um, you would feel very threatened because you need things like water and food and they aren't there. A desert, when there's, it's a place of need. And it's very, the moment you're there, you realize, wow, I, I'm not independent, actually. And there's nothing you can do about it in the desert either. You're helpless to produce something. So you're needy, meaning you're ready to receive, or you, you need to receive something, and you can't do anything about it. The reason God wants us to fall in love or needs us to be in a desert to fall in love with him is because in our relationship with him, that's exactly where we need to be because he's God and we're not. And so the only way we can receive him is if we admit or know deep down inside of our heart that we need him and we can't manipulate him or produce what he has to offer on our own because he's God and we're not. God needs to render us basically poor, needy, consciously needy and poor, if we're going to receive him as God. Otherwise, we'll probably, because this is what we do, is we try and start doing things on our own, fixing it ourselves, filling ourselves up with the things that we know uh, and can do. 
we become trying to be gods ourselves. So God woos his people in the desert because of who he is and who we are. You know, at the end of the day, um, the whole point of all of this existence that we have is that God wants to give us himself. He doesn't want to give us anything less. He doesn't want to give us a nice job or a nice life. You know, those might be part of it, but at the end of the day, ultimately, which is what Christianity is about, it's about the ultimate things. God wants to give us himself, and he is willing to make us know our poverty so that we can receive the greatest gift. And so he will take us into a desert sometimes. You know, maybe an image to help you understand kind of the way the church has seen this. If you've noticed that when a priest prays at mass, he prays like this, it's called the orans position, which is Latin for praying. So not really that cool. Um, and uh, the reason is because this is actually, when you see the earliest Christians at prayer, they're not praying like this. This is a medieval thing. It has other values, but they don't stand like this. They stand like this. And that's like a bodily symbol of, of being poor, needy, and not being able to do anything. If you're like this, I mean, that's what cops tell you to do when they want you to be vulnerable so that they can, whatever, arrest you, right? You put your hands up and all of a sudden they can do whatever they want. Similarly, except God's not a cop, but you know what I mean? With God, it's a, it's a, it's a position of, of being poor saying the only thing I have to offer you, God, is the fact that I have nothing to offer you. But I'm conscious of that, and I'm going to stand before you with that. It's actually a good way to pray if you um, aren't embarrassed about it or if you're alone. <laughs> to pray in the actual physical position of being poor. So to kind of bring it back um, to boredom, to wrap it up, when in your life, when in our lives we feel bored, like what is this is there's this is not that great, it's not that interesting, there's nothing to do, or even there's all these things I feel like I should be doing, but I don't feel like doing them, and you know, the kind of uh, yeah, the, the, the feeling of boredom just kind of we all know what it's like. Or, so in life when we, we feel bored, or in prayer, when we come and we're like, okay, I'm going to go pray, and I want to encounter God, and you go, and it's like, nothing attracts you about it. It's almost repulsive. Like, I, this is the last thing I want to do. I don't want to go sit in church. I don't want to go sit in my room, because none of the thoughts are interesting. I've thought these all before. Ugh. Whenever you feel that, it's possible, or it's almost certain it is certain, actually, that God, it's not that God has abandoned you and isn't there at all. It's possible, or certain even, that God is allowing you to feel your, your actual position in existence, which is needy, empty, and that the world in front of you isn't enough to fill it. You know, we say we're made for God, and then we're surprised when 
the world doesn't seem to do it for us all the time. That makes sense. Like the world should fall short, actually. Like it's a boredom is a sign. It's like a symbol almost of the fact that we're made for something greater and it's God and God may be allowing us to experience that so that when he wants to give us himself in a new way or in a way that he hasn't yet in a bigger way, we'll have been made ready for it. The difficulty of the spiritual life, I think, or one of the difficulties is that we like the part where we get stuff from God insights or obvious growth or consolation. But I think probably most of the time God is not giving things. He's stretching us so that then he can give us something. And it's the choice that we have in order to, to walk down the path, the spiritual path is whether or not we're going to, to keep seeking God intentionally when it seems like nothing's happening, when we're bored with it when it's a desert. So maybe the, um, the practical question and the practical, I guess, advice I would have is uh, to begin to train your mind to see boredom not as a failure, but as an invitation. Not only an invitation, but a sign of God doing something. And then, uh, to lean into it. I don't know what that phrase means. One of my best friends, Father Kalp, uses it all the time. Like, it's, I couldn't tell you what it means to lean into boredom, but like, I kind of know what it means. I found it helpful. So I'm going to tell you to do that too. I think what it means is um, to not run away from it, to look at it in the face, interpret it according to faith, which is that God may be doing or is doing something through it. And then to just kind of suffer it. And in the midst of suffering it, to recommit consciously yourself to God, to say, God, I desire you. I desire to be filled by you. Fill me up. I'm bored. Fill me up. Life is blah. All right, just to wrap up, and then um, after this talk, I'll be available for confessions in the library, which is over there, um, for those of you that are here. Um, I'm going to read a psalm. Uh, actually, I'll give you three psalms that you might read yourselves uh, or pray um, during the quiet time that we'll have. Psalm 63, which is the one that I'll read. Psalm 130 and Psalm 42. I didn't give you those in order, which I'm sorry. Um, hopefully most people watching know me so they're not weirded out by these comments that I have. Um, the Psalms, uh, the reason I'm giving you Psalms is because they're good, but also the Psalms are actually, um, they're, they're prayers and they're prayers inspired by scripture or by God, meaning the scripture. So it's God teaching us how to pray when you read them and you're like, oh, this is what God thinks I should be experiencing, or this God's not surprised that I'm experiencing this, it actually is quite consoling. So all three of those Psalms are about desiring God and wondering where God is, um, asking God to come. Um, and I think Psalm 63 perhaps is the best one. Um, it's a Psalm about thirsting for God in the desert, but you could 
obviously quite easily um, apply it to the experience of boredom in your prayer. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where no water is. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is feasted as with marrow and fat, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prey for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall glory for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Especially the first part of that, where the psalmist says, like, my body is like a dry, weary land where there is no water. And then after that, he goes and says, but I'm going to praise you. I bless you because you are God, the God that I'm longing for. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.